0: Hello, film fans across the world. It's Baron and the Doc here for That Reminds Me Of. Today, we are talking about Dr.
1: Sleep. Dr. Sleep by Mike Flanagan, Doc. I'll just remind everybody, this is the show where we watch films and talk about them and also talk about the films that we're reminded of while watching those films. And it is spoiler heavy at times, so you've been warned.
0: Dr. Sleep by Mike Flanagan. Now, that's an interesting way to introduce it because it's it's kind of Dr. Sleep by Mike Flanagan and Stephen King and, Stephen and Stanley King. Kubrick. Yes, and Stanley uh, Kubrick. Great. So, Michael, Mike Flanagan really had to chart a course through all these other authorial voices. He's done a lot of borrowing. There's mm. been a lot of borrowing,
1: which is which is required when you're adapting something. But yes, there there's a big
0: voices, big works that he's had to adapt here. Speaking of that, could you just introduce the the history of this film and where it fits in filmic storytelling in the universe history, in the, the universe. universe of
1: Stephen King's The Shining? Sure, can. So this film uh, is a is a sequel to The Shining, mm. which. Seems really strange because The Shining is such a huge film in film lore. Like it's just you know at the peak of of films that people often go, "That's my favorite," or "I thought of I the." Think, Shining. I think that's normally you. It's normally me. That's I think true. it's normally you that says, "Yes, that's my favorite." That's, or, <laughs> that's true. That reminds me of The Shining. I may have built it up in my own head. That's yeah. true. Even uh, though it was me last last episode, actually. That's it. that's true. That's true as well. So. This is, a, this is a sequel and if you remember The Shining and whether you've see, read the book, seen the Kubrick version or seen the four-hour Stephen King version, you have young Danny Torrance who is the boy with The Shining at the centre of that story. Well, in this film, Doctor Sleep, he has grown up and I think we're about 35-odd years later, I don't know, I'm guessing. Uh, he's in his 40s by the looks of it Mm. and he's become known as dr sleep because he's got this uncanny ability to help people move on and um and the reason that is is that uh he's become a bit of a a drunk like his father he's gone through rehab landed in a small town where he's actually been kind of accepted and uh taken on a job as an orderly Mm. and there's a cat there that just seems to know when people are going to die and he and and he does too he he sits next to them and helps them pass over into the next into the next phase wherever people continue on to so that's sort of his story and it's his life has been pretty dark he's he's been chased around by ghosts from the shining and he's <laughs> locked them up in boxes as they've come after him and you think he's going to be settled but then into his life pops a young girl who also has the shining and she starts a connection with him over many many miles she's in another state i think and at the same time you're watching this group called the true knot who are a bunch of psychic ghouls of some sort like they've they've died and come back and they feast on kids with the shining that's their whole their whole deal and they mm. seem to live for thousands of years if they get, it, get some good feeding. And mm. you end up with old Danny Torrance teaming up with the young girl who shines big time. She's really got a lot of power um, mm. to try and take down this group called the True Knot who are hot on their tail because they want to eat them. I guess. <laughs> I think that's a pretty good start. Yep, <laughs> that there's, sums it up for me. There's there's a lot going on in there. I promised you and myself that I'd try and get that down to a couple sentences and failed miserably. But you know,
0: there well, you I go. think it's all about scene setting, and that sets yep. it. It sets it for me. I've got a confession. Yeah. And that confession is that when we were, I think our episode on Bly Manor, the haunting of Bly Manor, which yes. is also Mike Flanagan, yeah. Yep. I'm pretty sure. We discussed Doctor Sleep in some yes, respect, or it, and and you recommended it to me, perhaps. I yeah, did. you you at least referenced it. I said it um, was
1: one of the best ones that he's done at the time. Mm-hmm. I thought it was one of his better ones. Well,
0: I did not watch this based on your recommendation. I was flicking through Netflix, and we thought, "Oh, Doctor Sleep, what's that about?" You know, and I, I just thought it was maybe a a Marvel universe. Thing so I completely oh, yeah. <laughs> completely forgotten the whole conversation and then I watched it and I started seeing some shining references starting with the you know the overhead shot of the the car and everything and I mm. the hairs on my arms started to you know, just <laughs> <laughs> just you know stand on on end oh um, well, that's that's actually a kind of a cool way to come to this film not knowing what it is yes but I'm not sure what that did to me in my in my watching so I'm really keen first to hear what you thought of it because i'm not sure to if if my mind was colored one way or the other by how i approached
1: it look we should say that this film isn't a new release it came out in october last year mm. and we're coming at it now because i think you we, you saw it and said mm. i've just seen it and we've talked about it in passing before so we decided to do an episode on it but i re-watched it this week knowing mm. that we were going to talk about it and I liked the film before. On second viewing, I like it more. I think it's I think it's a cracker.
0: Wow. Okay. Mm. That's interesting. I really enjoyed it. The little memories of the shining just, you know, really got me all through. As I've reflected on it though, while there's still heaps that I, I like about it, I think it is full of holes as well. I imagine you probably see the holes too and just forgive them. Um, and I think that's where I la- I've landed. But I'm, I'm keen to t- talk about all the, the little elements and see what what your thoughts are on several things. There's too much to talk about with this film. So, yes, mm-hmm. I, I
1: agree. There are things that are problems in this film. Mm-hmm. And there are certain choices that, for me, are problems that I struggle mm-hmm. with a little bit. And on second viewing, I struggled with them again because I kind of I kind of remember struggling with them the first time. Mm-hmm. But on a whole, I think this is mike flanagan's best work so far i love the haunting of hill house we've talked about that but i think that series has some flaws as well as does all of his work like there's strengths and weaknesses i think in in all of them but this one even though it's two and a half hours long it's fairly long it Mm. feels like a like a really well crafted story If and it feels like a stephen king story as well which for me is kind of important because a Stephen King story has, it has all of those elements. Like it has three or four different storylines and characters going that will all meet at the end and explode into each other. Like that's just, that's in every Stephen King story, you know. I enjoy how he's how he's done the adaptation. I think he's done a great job. I think what
0: got me initially was Ewan McGregor, I just think is an outstanding actor. Yes. And he could be doing anything and I'd probably buy into it. And yeah. but I thought in this in particular, he was really compelling and you, you had him, you, you were with him from the start and he didn't, didn't lose me or actually maybe a couple of times he nearly did, but mostly he mm-hmm. didn't lose me. <laughs> yeah,
1: I totally agree. This could have been a Kevin Bacon or something, right? You know, and mm. Ewan McGregor almost went a little bit off the deep end with this one. Like he could have, he could mm. have easily with this role. Yeah. But he holds it together and he does bring a lot of little nuances to the character that uh, I think particularly on the second viewing, I appreciate it. He's very real, Ewan McGregor. I agree. Mm. And there's there's real vulnerability in this role that he plays. Start mm. with some things that you liked. Yeah, sure. I've kind of already talked about the, the multiple storylines that all meet. So I think that they are handled really well. And on, on, on second viewing, I think that the pacing of them and the way, you know, the editing and cutting from one, one storyline to the next has mm. come together is, is really solid. Like it just, it works. All of the, the storylines, um, the arcs line up beautifully. Con- considering Mike Flanagan has written this screenplay as well as directed mm.
0: it, it's, it feels quite masterfully done. So I I really appreciated that. I thought it was great. Yeah. I think the setup when we see his history, you know, waking up next to that girl who seemingly then died, I don't know if that's just his guilt for having left her and he's just making that up or if it's true, Mm -hmm. her and the kid potentially. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But that starting point and what he's escaping from is pretty cool. And then to see his mate, I've forgotten his name, that that character. um, um, Uh, Billy Freeman. Billy Freeman. I love the, the guy, actor too. Cl-
1: Cliff Curtis, right? He's great. Yeah, he's, he's from he's, Fear the Walking Dead, isn't he? Yes, he is. He's brilliant. I'd like to see him in more of these sorts of roles. He's really good.
0: And mm. his character was really good here. It was really sound. You could feel from Ewan McGregor's character what a chance this guy had taken on him. And it was really a nice male bonding moment that stretched through the through the film. So yeah. that, that affected me
1: early on. I enjoyed all of the casting except... This is getting into some things that I didn't like already. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, I'm about to launch into them too, so that's good <laughs> right. good
0: timing. Yeah.
1: I thought all the casting was solid, um, all of the main characters. I really liked Rose the Hat. I thought she was great. Yeah. Um, I really liked the uh, little girl that plays Abra. I really didn't like any of the sh- the old shining recasting moments. I thought they did the best they could to try and find someone that would match Danny's mum. It's that's an almost impossible ask. And then equally is to find someone who can play mm. Jack Nicholson, to do the Jack Torrance character. That that role in particular, did you recognize who it was that showed up as as Jack Torrance?
0: Well, the the one clue is that this is a Mike Flanagan production. <laughs> um so of course he's going to be in it, but of all people to play oh, to God. play Jack Nicholson, they choose Elliot from ET.
1: Oh my god! And but, it's uh, so I'm...
0: weird. He's like, yeah,
1: it's he's... like he he tried to he sort of took on some of the body movements and and postures that mm. that Jack Nicholson had in that, but then didn't have any of the other <laughs> kind of facial expressions or inflections in his voice. Downright, and it was oh just odd looking. You know what he looked like to me? He looked yeah. like, <laughs> you know the. <laughs> This is this is sounding really harsh, but do you know you know the, the the character from Men in Black that's like the the alien that's actually just a giant cockroach, and then he puts <laughs> on remember. a he puts on a Vincent D'Onofrio suit when he gets on <laughs> Earth, and yeah. like it's all ill fitting, and he's like got these weird sort of <laughs> yeah, like c- crazy walk and like bits of flesh are all out of alignment. That's what yeah. he reminded me of. It was like E.T. Elliot from E.T. putting on a Jack Nicholson suit,
0: and it didn't fit right. Well, to me, it was like Tim Perry in one of his, you know, the mask or one of those <laughs> yeah. things where he's he contorts his face in some ridiculous uh, pose and then, like, yeah. keeps it there, like, for the whole scene. <laughs> oh oh, my it was God. uncomfortable. It was I just, uncomfortable I, and I just seemingly wished, unnecessary. Yeah, that's the point I was going to make. Unless you're going to get Jack Nicholson in it. Yeah. I don't think we need to see that character. We didn't need to see him. We could have. It could have been done yeah. with a voice, you know.
1: It could yeah. have been done with an off-screen voice and it would have been classier and just worked better, I think.
0: Yeah, and I zoned yeah. out for a bit of that. I really enjoyed getting back into the hotel mm. and just inhabiting it. But then to when it starts getting kind of specific, it just lost me a bit. So Although I would I, love to know, like,
1: yeah. does, do, do those sets still exist somewhere or have they rebuilt those sets? Or is it a mixture of rebuilding plus a bit of mastery and compositing no that i don't know
0: but i, I i'm pretty sure these are all newly mm. film sequences like
1: little little danny they've recreated the the trike mm. scene perfectly almost the only way you would know it isn't isn't the original is a few tiny little details but also there's this that the kid's a different actor yeah. but it's well done it's incredibly well done
0: I'm, I'm a bit kinder than you are to the the portrayal of the mum i thought that actress did a reasonable job and little ridiculous she had the touches voice. yeah and, and the the ear coming out of the <laughs> yeah, hair you know coming true. through the hairline i thought it, you know if they're going to put her in in it she did as good a job as you could i think
1: look i i agree that she did a good as good a job as is possible probably but it becomes a bit of an uncanny valley thing where mm. you know what it's meant to be and it's it's like not quite right
0: and so it makes the whole thing glaringly wrong in some way mm. no it's it, you're right it's like when they you have a the days of our lives or the young and the restless and they say the character of Jack Abbott will today be played <laughs> yeah. by someone completely different exactly <laughs> and it's no long this this the universe is now destroyed for me you think it it's, is it, it is not the shining anymore it's just some rip-off
1: I would almost rather they just had them off camera and you don't see them mmm see their faces, or they just choose an an actor that looks different enough that you're not sitting there a little bit freaked out by what you're seeing. You know what I mean? Like,
0: Mm. I
1: I feel like you go one way or the other.
0: But this goes to the length of the film, which which didn't bother me, I must say, but what what real value did having the mum or even the Jack Nicholson character in there have? Uh, yes. Other than kind of make, you know, wanting to wow you that you're completely back in the universe. But I, yep. I didn't need it there. I'm happy with Ewan's uh, arc. Just, just cut him out, mate. Yeah, that, that would possibly work
1: beautifully, actually. Um, mm. Obviously, you'd have to try it. But like that feels right. Mm. Why do we need to see it? I mean, really, the important bit of information there in terms of like what's going to happen in the story and what's going to happen later mm. is what the old cook teaches him about locking the ghosts up inside the boxes. Yeah. Um, but you know what? That scene where he wakes up next to the woman who's passed out and then you see that her son never... Like, she never woke up and her son ended up dying. Like, that was... it That's enough. That there is enough to tell you everything you need to know about this character in a way.
0: I think that's, that's what I liked and what annoyed me and I think they got the balance a little bit wrong. I loved the nods to The Shining. Yeah. And I hated when they tried to... Uh, either recreate completely or explain the Mm -hmm. the shining so when they go into a lot of exposition about how much this one shines or expanding that universe and the rules of the universe into all this steam nonsense i didn't really dig this business of of the steam steam and you know someone dies and then they let off this steam and then everyone all the, the vampires or whatever they are in this orgiastic kind of sniffing the steam all that was bad enough <laughs> but then the fact that they put them in these hip flask mm. ca- canisters these are centuries old kind of immortals it just didn't seem that was a mike planning in addition, i
1: think um i don't think that was in the book i don't mm. think there were hip flasks full of steam i mean maybe they were but I can't really remember that being a big part of it, and and you're right, it makes no sense in terms of beings that have been around for thousands of years and you know watched the Roman Empire rise and fall and all that sort of crap. That like they'd have uh, sci-fi
0: hip flasks for (laughs) for steam. Yeah, totally. I found it all a bit silly, and I found Mm. that whole group of villains a little bit silly. You you said you loved the Rose character. Mm. I didn't mind her, I guess. But yeah, I could have done without all of them being so uh, having so much airtime.
1: I think on first viewing, I was less convinced. Second viewing, I I went for the ride a lot. Mm. I went for all of that stuff, uh, and you know what I really loved in this viewing was the whole astral projection part of it. I just mm. thought it was so well done, and you don't see it in film very often. The bit where Abra and Rose the Hat are both kind of hunting each other. Um, mm. And in particular, there's a, there's a section where Rose the Hat just sort of lies down on her van and decides she's going to go find Abra. And she sort of just lifts off and flies through the clouds and then does this crazy sort of curving loop down right through the window of the girl's room. And mm. then they have a little fight, like an astral projection magic trap fight or whatever. It was it was cool. I, I, I really digged all of that. I thought it was um, well done and good fun.
0: Yeah, yeah. I I probably am not as big a fan naturally of that fantasy sci-fi stuff as as you might be. Mm. That said, I thought the look of that when when she rose and went through the sky. Yeah, I thought that was a really nice balance because it wasn't shot or constructed or or, or however in a, in a realistic way. It really it felt like a magical realism. It did moment. Yeah, and I liked that. It was fantastical somehow. Yeah. It also really
1: aligns with things that I've read in the past about astral projection. Like it just felt ah. like there was some lore behind it. Like it it kind of felt right. So I thought it was cool.
0: Interesting. So and you mm. like the boxes, like the the fact that you know, the the way that he has managed to tame all these unwieldy ghosts yeah. is, is to in his mind <laughs> capture them and put them in these boxes within his mind. Yeah, so I love the idea. There. Yeah.
1: I love the idea. I think the boxes themselves were a little bit naff, mm. these giant boxes inside the maze. I thought that was a little bit, you know, wasn't yeah. beautifully visualised, but I like the idea a lot. Yeah, it was like a little bit 80s Saturday morning cartoon. Yeah, yeah, I think it could have been done with a little bit more finesse. But Should we get on to references, Doc, things that
0: you were reminded of while watching? Only after I've had one more dig at it. Dig is probably... An unintended pun because there was a scene <laughs> yeah. a scene that jumped the shark for me, and that was when they Ewan McGregor and his mate, Fear of the Walking Dead guy, uh, get convinced <laughs> to track down the the young boy that's been killed by all the vampires. They track him down and they dig him up. Mm. And I'm just thinking, why? Why are you doing this? I I, I think there was a reason, like they had to get the something baseball the baseball yeah. glove. Yeah. Uh, but they just seem to be digging themselves into such a hole of a legal illegal minefield.
1: Looking super guilty if Looking anything su- comes up. Exactly. <laughs> I just thought they
0: could have taken more precautions and just protected themselves a bit better. And then when they're doing it, he's saying Fear of the Walking Dead guy is telling this story about this time that he killed a deer. And this long. they could have cut five minutes just from yeah. this story that went nowhere and meant nothing.
1: Other than to set up the fact that he has rifles and they're going to use them later, <laughs> that seemed to be the whole
0: point of well, the, of the deer story, right? Well, let's talk about the rifles too. Mm. So I think this this whole journey to to get these villains was all a bit ludicrous to me. Like I, it had me all along. So I enjoyed the ride, but they they're dealing with these immortals who have have seen a thing or two in their time, and they can, you know, they would presumably know how to how to fight and the way they go about their big plan is just to hide behind behind some trees and and shoot them all like i just think (laughs) that was like it worked in the end but it didn't. the percentage chance of it succeeding and the fact that the little girl was you know a bait in it all and Mm. i don't know just it just seemed like a, a ludicrous Plan and, and became a bit farcical for me.
1: That's fair. That that did have a high percentage of not working, um, and it, it sort of does with with lots of casualties. But I was also really bothered that they left the girl at her home. Like, why would you leave her at her own home, even though yeah. she's the bait for where they are? She should still go somewhere else to hide, you know, because <laughs> they
0: they they probably know where her home is. A couple of related quickfire jabs yeah. is is the fact that the girl is so clearly more powerful than everyone else. Mm. So the sense of danger with with Rose the Hat and all of them was never really there. You never really thought that they were going to overpower the girl. Abra, mm. Um uh, you, I didn't have that. That's interesting. interesting. I just I, I just felt a sense that like you know most of these things are going to come out okay, but yeah. I really thought she was always going to win the day. Probably I enough. guess Rose being the most powerful of their group and then in a
1: one-on-one mm. Abra's pretty much handed it to her each time. Yeah. It's true. Yeah, but I
0: I I still felt a level of danger for her if the whole group were to come for her. Yeah, mm. you're probably right. And there was certainly a level of danger that i don't think anyone in the film properly explored and that that's the danger that befell Abra's father who died and she seemingly couldn't give her stuff <laughs> she really didn't care did she <laughs> I know. he was a nice guy he was a nice guy and he's <laughs> it's the biggest thing that's ever happened in a little he was a bit of a, it
1: was a bit of a wuss i thought no. <laughs> was he no nah, i'm Joking. But yeah, no, she, she you're right. She shrugged that off. She was like, Oh yeah, dad's dead.
0: That's dead. All right, let's go do some, what do we need to do now? Okay, great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, what we need to do now is some reminds me of. So um I'm exactly. gonna let you go first.
1: So the obvious thing here is that we have reenactments of the shining, right? Mm. And it's leaning very heavily on the shining the whole way through. And I just wanted to raise a couple points about that. First of all, Stephen King is not a fan of Stanley Kubrick's The Shining. Mm, I've heard that. That's a, It's a big thing, right? Mm. He just doesn't like it. And yet, somehow, Mike Flanagan was able to lean on that version of The Shining in this sequel. And I'm assuming he would have worked really quite closely with Stephen King on this because mm. um, I think King, for these le- this level of project, would have a bit of control, creative control over it. Yeah. So I think it's really interesting that that what we have here is a film that basically is using all the visuals from Kubrick's *Shining* as Cues. the source. I think it's good because it's much, much stronger than than King's version of *The Shining* by mm. a million percent. Um, and I'm just glad that it's that, that that happened. But my reference is *Ready Player One*. Have you seen that film? Yeah, I have. I'm trying to think what it could be. Go so ahead. *Ready Player One*. One of the clues that of that they need to find is in the shining they 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 go into almost like a game <laughs> version of the shining yeah. and what they did is basically spielberg recreated the overlook hotel but he gave it all of the texture of the original kubrick film stock and it and it and it just is incredible to watch like mm-hmm. you have these characters that you've been watching in this really slick film walk into the The scenes of The Shining, and it doesn't just feel like they've rebuilt the set and shot it anew. It feels like they've walked into the film itself. Just for something that's an incredible achievement, and in 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 terms of the nostalgia of like the original Shining film just coming back in a massive Mm. tidal wave and bowling you over, Ready Player One like
0: nails that. It's amazing. I don't remember that from the film. It's, It's outrageous.
1: Yeah, it's worth going back just for a look at that sequence.
0: Yeah, it's, it's quite incredible. Well, my first reference is, is a little bit similar. It's have you seen Room Two Three Seven? Yeah, the the, the Doco. doco. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's great. So, so what that explores is really different interpretations of of the meaning behind The Shining. Like, I think there's several takes on on it that, that they explore. I saw it at a festival, I think, and had a really mysterious vibe to it all through, like a conspiracy theory vibe. And, and it tapped into what I think we li- all like about The Shining, and that is the what is unsaid and how your mm. mind can like make different interpretations out of it. So th- that I loved, but this one reminded me of it just probably for the wrong reasons, because, <laughs> well, Room 237, it's a documentary, but it, it highlighted everything that I loved about The Shining. This kind of explained too much it mm. was there was too much exposition there was i agree i think you probably have to in a sequel to some extent you've got to tie things into how does it connect with the last one so it's not as easy as just making some random film and throwing things out there yep. I get i get that and i don't blame it too much for it but you know some of that mystery was lost for me you know what that's a great point Because years have gone by
1: and this is a sequel and we're leaning on the original, I think that people can kind of over-index towards, Mm. I need to explain the original film to people again in case they don't re-watch it before Mm. watching this. And that's a mistake. I think that's a mistake. I'm actually reading a book at the moment. It, It has that same thing. It's one of my favorite series from like the 70s and there's these two giant fat, like volumes from the 70s that were written and then like 40 years goes by and he wrote another third volume to go with the same series yeah and i'm reading this book and i reckon 70 percent of it is explaining what happened in the first two volumes yeah and through through a whole bunch of you know deep thoughts and flashbacks and just the main character thinking about what happened back then when when in a similar situation and it's so boring i just this is mm. it's really disappointing i wish we
0: could just get on with the, with the new story yeah look, mm. n- none of that wrecked this film for me i, I really mm. enjoyed it so but it's it's still it lost that mystery it was yeah. just a good rollicking ride rather than giving you that same pins and needles that the shining gives you yeah totally I, no, I, I completely agree. It
1: doesn't have that depth and, and none of that. You know the way um, Room 237 goes into symbolism a lot and this whole idea yeah, that, yeah. that Kubrick had placed so much symbolism into this film that it hits you on almost like a subconscious level that you're, you're, you're drawn in and it's, it's firing off all these mm. things that you don't even realize are, are happening. Mm. I mean, that's, that's a cool concept. I don't know how true it is, but it's, it, it's a cool idea. It's probably not true at all, <laughs> but it's still fun,
0: fun to think about. Yeah, definitely. What else um, for you?
1: I The other one that really came up for me was really based on Stephen King's works. So uh, the Dark Tower Universe that Stephen King has created that kind of tie all of his books together. Mm. W- when I was watching this again, I, I was thinking a lot about that because you know what he's managed to do through this Dark Tower series, is go, well, there, there are many worlds, you can walk through many different doors and many versions of Earth, um, but they all have magic in them in some way. <laughs> um, and so you've got sort of like Kerry and the Firestarter and more recently he did this book called The Institute, which has a lot of kids with with The Shining that are being used to sort of destroy parts of the universe in a, in a way, like wow. to disrupt things. What he's done is he's managed to build all these connections and this sequel to The Shining is kind of that. He's taken what was a really simple concept back in The Shining Mm. and he's now added the steam and the the true knot and this idea that there's things out there that feed on kids with The Shining. And he's sort of built on that mythology.
0: So Mm. I think that's cool. And did you see something for the fans Elm Street in there at one stage? Elm Street, no. Yeah, yeah. I think it was in the town when he first, maybe when he first arrived in that town and met the met his mate. Oh, that's um, cool. One of the streets just off the park was Elm Street. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I miss that. I miss that. <laughs> you know, and
1: in the in one of the Dark Tales books, there's there's a big thing about a train in a in a park, and um, oh wow, you know that's in this, and so I, you know, there were nods nods
0: to some of that Stephen King universe stuff throughout. No wonder he doesn't like the Kubrick version, because it seems like they have completely different. Mm. ways of approaching I think so yeah I think so both great in their own way but just not maybe not compatible I think that's right (laughs) I think that's
1: all it is and they're both the shining the book and the film are both masterpieces they're both great Uh, but
0: they just seem to have a level of disdain for each other's work (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I've got one more absolutely frivolous one um, Mm. which is virtually not worth mentioning but Back to these canisters that I seem to be um, obsessed by. These canisters of steam mm. that reminded me of <laughs> Ghostbusters. Um, <laughs> that's actually and great. The ability to capture the sort of essence or the soul oh, great—or a ghost in some way in a little box. And that is great because it highlights the ridiculous nature of the whole concept as well. Yes, that was that was going to be my point. Okay, that <laughs> Ghostbusters is a, is a comedy film, and <laughs> therefore. That works absolutely perfectly. I love it. Yep. This yep. is meant to be set in kind of like a real alternative reality. This is and serious stuff, man. This is not comedy. Yeah, yeah. But but that stuff to me is just not serious and you can't you can't buy it for a second. So like I can buy the astral projection just because it's not so in your face. It's mm. silly, but the steam lost me. Yep. <laughs> I I'll I'll will go with you on that one totally. Well maybe this episode's run out of steam, Baron. Maybe
1: it's run out of steam. <laughs> That's it. We need a new canister. Yeah, before the next episode we'll we'll top
0: up. Cool. Okay, <laughs> well we'll see see you next time. All right, cheers doc.